Well, g'day. Welcome to the detour. And uh, again, uh, I've had I've got to take the reins. We've got uh, uh, Dan uh, indisposed, although he can still push the buttons, which is great. You know, not just pushing my buttons, he's pushing the buttons for the show. Uh, but with me to help me through this, I've got uh, Scotty McGrory, our regular guest, irregular guest, irregular, who uh, yeah. <laughs> Olympic gold medalist, one of our, uh, our greatest uh, uh, track cyclists, and as I say, stage winner in the Bay Crits. Uh, g'day, Scotty. <laughs> yeah, thanks, mate. Um, and yeah, a couple of stage wins in the the Herald Sun tour, but you were overall winner multiple times, so you you certainly put me away in that regards, mate. Ah, uh, bakeries are more important, mate. Bakeries are more important than anything else. <laughs> so, uh, a, a great stage last night, and uh, for all our Aussie uh, fans and viewers, you know, uh, Caleb uh, Ewan was just magnificent, and. We've got a couple of words from him right now, so let's throw to uh, uh, the pocket rocket. My legs are still uh, still burning right now. Can you tell us how was this uh, last two kilometers especially? Um, yeah, we knew it was going to be super tough. Uh, it was a steep uphill with about one and a half kilometers to go, and then it was always just slightly dragging uphill all the way to the finish line. So we knew from the steep part, all the sprinters' legs were going to be quite tired. And then with the extra drag to the line, it was always going to be like a really slow, like, like a slug, like grit to the line. There was a relief, I guess, uh, two days ago when you won the, the first stage. Uh, now the confidence is there. Or have you lost it at some point and now it's coming back? Or you hadn't always knew that it was your level anyway? Uh, no, you know, I never, I never lost confidence. Um, this year, I feel like I'm uh, I'm a stronger rider, and um, although the the wins haven't come you know, as many in the start of the year, I knew what the reasons were behind it, and you know it wasn't my uh, it wasn't my speed or you know my strength or anything like that. And I think you know I showed in San Remo that I'm a stronger rider this year, and I just needed some luck, and we needed to work together a bit better as a team. And you know the boys, we messed up the first day, but you know. Like I said before, when we messed it up, that we always uh, debrief that, and we always try to do better. And the last two sprints have done uh, uh, such a good job, and yeah, it's thanks to them that I could win these last two stages. Yeah, <laughs> and he's spot on there. He certainly, he certainly is a bit stronger. His ride in Milan San Remo was staggering because not only was he able to stay there uh, over the, the last couple of climbs, but he was at the front. He looked. <laughs> He, I think he almost was too strong because he went to the front when he, he probably should have stayed hidden and uh, he, he might have won that one. But, uh, um, yeah, no, he's in great form. And we were a couple of people were doubting him uh, after the first couple of days of this race, but uh, he certainly silenced all those critics. Well, I didn't uh, – no, not that I didn't think he was going to win yesterday, but I, I thought maybe Nizolo give him a chance because he's been 11 times second. Um, but, yeah, for me, for doubting – Caleb, he was incredible. Yeah, definitely. It, it wasn't even close, really, was it? Yeah, he. he uh, so uh, Fernando um, Gaviria went really early for UAE, uh, which is a bit too early. But uh, you know, considering what Caleb was saying about that finish, there it was really tricky. Maybe a long range attack like that could have worked, but no one was going to get past um, Caleb. He had to. He went to the front. He chased down Gaviria himself, then went over the top of him, and and Tim Merlier was third wheel coming into that sprint looked as if 
he'd made a mistake. He was too far back and, and was hopeful to step out and try and bridge across to, to Caleb. But he had nothing. He did try and come off the wheel of, of Jumalai, but uh, couldn't get past. So that was just the speed of Caleb that he was able to carry for those last couple hundred metres. It was truly an impressive sprint, wasn't it, Johnny? Yeah, very much so. And uh, I was impressed with Gaviria. I thought he did exactly the right thing because he's already worked out from the last two sprints <laughs> that he can't match uh, uh, Caleb at the moment. So <clears throat> it was a smart move. But uh, <laughs> Caleb didn't wait for anyone else to bridge any gaps. He was prepared to go that far away too. And he had, they are all behind him and they couldn't even hold the wheel. So uh, super, super impressed. It was. And, and a little note for someone that's you know, obviously coming off that long suspension and only now, you know, into his first series of, of races. And, and it was Dylan Grunewagen was seventh in that really difficult sprint finish. So it wasn't like your typical kind of – it's all the same sprinter names at the top there, but it wasn't your standard flat run-in, lead-out, come-off-the-wheels kind of sprint, was it? So for no. Dylan Grunewagen to still get up that pinch, still hold on to seventh in that finish, shows that, um, yeah, he'll be back to his absolute best pretty soon. And it might not be at this Giro because I imagine he's going to keep getting more fatigued hasn't got the racing in his legs. But, hey, who knows? You know, the next sprint stage, you might pop up for him. Mm. And I see that uh, Caleb's now into the uh, uh, points leader's jersey, uh, which, you know, he'll keep a few days. But because he's not uh, going to stay till the finish, uh, he, yeah. he won't be going for that. He hasn't bothered going for any of the intermediate sprints, but he's just in it because of winning two stages, I suppose. Yeah. Now, uh, I did. I had to catch up with uh, Whitey a little bit earlier because uh, he's got a two and a half hour bus trip uh, today, so he had to leave early. So um, we grabbed him and uh, had a words with um, Bike Exchange um, um, team director Matthew White uh, about to start another big stage for for the GC. Uh, Whitey, um, I'm without my uh, right hand man Dan who, uh, unlike uh, your man who's been sick, who's as tough as nails, uh, Cam Meyer, uh, Dan gets a little bit crooked. And, and uh, he's actually not crooked today. He's actually got uh, um, family challenges. So, uh, we'll, we'll, but anyway, mate, how, talking about that, how is Cam Meyer? I haven't, I haven't seen Cam this morning. He's still, still asleep. Um, we've got to leave uh, the hotel in the next 45 minutes, but I haven't seen him this morning, but... He, uh, he wasn't good uh, after the stage yesterday. Uh, it was an easy stage, but I think he's uh, been paying for the effort he made in the two days in the terrible weather. So uh, I'll talk to the doctor after I speak with you, John, and uh, and then yeah, it'll be a decision that the doctors will make uh, whether it's uh, worth him continuing on because the last thing we want to do is, uh, is, uh, is do any damage to camp. And as much as we'd love to have him uh, on the Giro for the rest and uh, and the value that he would bring us, uh, his health is going to come first. Of course. So, so Whitey, um, tell us about yesterday's stage. I know it's a sprint stage, so it's not quite so much pressure on you guys, but it's always about keeping uh, out of trouble. How did it pan out for you? Yeah, good. Uh, those sprint stages in modern cycling, uh, they're never relaxed. Uh, there's probably about 30, 40k of, of sort of relaxed sort of riding when uh, they let the brake uh, let let them out there and there was no wind. And then, as always, uh, all the teams have the same information regarding wind uh, and and those sort of uh, elements that do uh, do increase the tension in the race. And even though we weren't contesting the uh, the wind, it's always stressful to protect our leaders because at all, at, at all times. As a GC team, you've got to mitigate risks. And so you're staying out of trouble. 
and that takes a lot of energy from certain guys to protect our leaders. So we got through safe and sound, and uh, and that's the that was the main focus for any sprint stage for us. <laughs> so it was just had uh, uh, Bert Lancaster trying to call me on the other line. So there you go, <laughs> the fun and games. But um, so what did you think of uh, of Kayla's performance? It was a pretty impressive sprint. Yeah, one hundred percent. He uh, he's shown now he's got into his groove. And uh, he is uh, head and shoulders above uh, any of the sprinters uh, we've got here at the moment. Um, that sprint, he had to make a big. That was that was a, it was a gutsy move from Gaviria. Probably, uh, yeah. When you when you're a world class sprinter making those sort of moves, for me, it's sort of someone who's maybe even doubting his condition because it's a, it's an all or nothing move. It's an all or nothing move, and uh, he went for it. And uh, Caleb was onto it pretty quick, and uh, he, he showed a real clean set of heels. Better than the uh, better than the other sprinters there, and uh, it's it was a good finish for Caleb. That uphill kick uh, is is good for him, but uh, he read that he read that final really well, and uh, he took it upon his own shoulders to go after Gaviria, and he was just too good for the others. Yeah, look, I was looking forward to uh, to watching how him and uh, uh, Tim uh, Moliere uh, went against each other with, in, a, in a good sprint. But like you just said, I was very impressed with Gaviria. He, he realised he's not actually – hadn't got the speed of, uh, of Caleb right at the moment, so he went early and it was very impressive. But, gee, the way that uh, Caleb just reacted to that uh, was uh, – showed you just how confident he is. And he'll probably yeah. win an, another one before he goes on after the 13th stage, I reckon. But uh, He's certainly the favourite, certainly the favourite. An interesting side note there is I'm not sure people picked up on the television. Tim Miller, let's say, uh, had some stomach issues about 20K from the finish and actually, actually had to stop uh, and hop off the bike and relieve himself. Uh, and then we had two teammates come back and take him back through the group. So he had uh, – he obviously had some crook guts yesterday, so I don't actually know where where Tim finished, where Miller finished in the end. But I do remember him coming through the convoy inside the last twenty kilometres, uh, having stopped for a uh, to uh, relieve his stomach. So uh, not a good sign for him. Not a good sign for him if he has have stomach issues. But uh, look, regardless, Caleb's uh, shown he's really got into his groove there now, and uh, and uh, I think for the next few sprint stages, he's uh, he's definitely going to be the man to beat. Well, I've got to tell you that Tim Merlier uh, finished third in the stage, so uh, he's a lot tougher than Dan Jones, you know, bad uh, issues and still can perform, you know, so uh, <laughs> pretty good performance, actually. Now, today we're back to another GC day, so this is our third uh, day that you would say the GC boys will come out to play. Um Plenty of climbing in the middle, but the last one is not so, uh, so long, but um, it still will... Let, let us see exactly where they all are. Oh, look, John, it'll, it'll go two ways there, mate. It'll, it'll go two ways. Uh, that profile, yeah, it looks tough. I, I, I drove this this stage two, week, uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Uh, the, the, the climb to the line, it's just enough. It's just enough to get rid of the, the pure sprinters, but I, I think there's a good chance there'll be a breakaway today. And I think it's even one of those finishes for a Peter Sagan or a Ulysses because it's only two kilometres from, I think it's three to 1K to go is quite hard. But the last kilometre, well, the last 400 metres is a full flat and you're not climbing that hard inside that last K. So it's uh, it, it's one, there, there could be two races. There could be a, a race up front for the breakaway and obviously FDJ will do everything they can to, to keep that jersey. We're starting with uh, with pretty pretty windy first 50k, and then the closer we get into that mountain range, the less the wind the, the wind will drop off. But uh, those climbs, are, those those first two climbs are just steady. 
very long technical descent onto the last climb. But uh, the last climb itself, uh, it, look, it, it, it's a K and a half, 2K of 7 or 8%. Uh, and it's like if if the break is up the road and it's not for the win, I, I don't know if we'll see too much action actually out of uh, the GC guys in the final there because uh, we, we got we got good weather today. There's a lot. There's a lot of tough stages coming up, um, but it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that first hour of racing pans out first. I was going to ask about the weather because they've had freezing cold and rain, or, or or sunny by the sea. So no rain today. Look, I'm not a weatherman, John, um, but there is some very uh, inclement weather, and a lot it, in the next week. I think we've got predicted possible storms nearly every, nearly every afternoon. So it's going to be hit and miss, and obviously when you go into the mountains. Yeah, one 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 range can be raining, and you go five k further on, and it's totally dry. Or one pass over, and it's a different weather system. So, look, I think today the chances of rain are quite small, which is good, um, because that uh, that final descent uh, in the wet would be a, a, a one that could definitely split the group up. You know, the Giro is a bit like Melbourne weather. You know, absolutely beautiful one day and bloody shit house the next. But anyway. <laughs> Sometimes we've had you know, this, this part of Italy. Usually, we've got really great weather, and, and, and if anything, it can be pretty hot at this time of year. Um, mm. But at the moment, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's hit and miss. Uh, the long range forecast for the Dolomites is good, which is the main thing because you know where we're going. We're going 1,400 meters at the moment. But when you're talking about going above two thousand, that's where it turns into snow. Uh, so look, weather's one thing, and every team's aware of that, and uh, everyone's doing their best to stay warm and stay safe. Yeah, interesting. You mentioned FDJ; um, they will want to keep the uh, the pink jersey for another day if they can. So, uh, I, I just wonder if the uh, the breakaways. We know who's going to be in the breakaways. It's about certain. The three teams have been in just about every breakaway so far, but uh, they'll need a pretty strong team to to stay out there today because I reckon FDJ will be uh, um, really putting the pressure on for uh, Attila, the Hungarian. <laughs> oh, that, for sure. They, they'll want to keep the jersey because they, 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 they haven't got a GC rider here uh, or, a, or a sprinter here. So yeah. Pino, pulled, Pino pulled out the last minute. Demar's getting ready for the Tour de France. But uh, if things get out of control and we get a 20-man 20, 20 break up the road, that's where they're going to start to run into trouble. Now, the most important question uh, that I've got for you before I know you've got to run uh, is uh, what was for dinner last night, mate? Dinner last night was nice, uh, pasta dish, and I went double seafood, double seafood pasta, seafood for my main. <laughs> and seafood we're, for dessert. <laughs> we're, 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 on, we're on the coast, we're on the coast, mate, so when in Rome. Exactly right, mate. Exactly right. And I've seen you in action, so you, you can give it a nudge. Uh, look, Whitey, as you, as always, thanks heaps, Bill, and uh, good luck out there today, uh, and we'll chat tomorrow. Yep, and uh, fingers crossed the cam's woken up well and we can we can start with eight, but got uh, to go talk to the doctor now and see what the plan is him. Well, there we go. And he just texted me uh, just a couple of minutes ago to tell me that uh, the camp will be starting today. So obviously much, much tougher than uh, Dan Jones. So <laughs> that is impressive because a couple of days ago, talking about uh, they weren't even, they were considering not even putting him on the start line. Um, and that was the the, the flat stage, uh, was it three days, two, three days ago? Um, yeah. Which I guess, 
there was really challenging at the end. That was the crash that took out Lander right at the very end. But most of that stage was pretty cruisy. In the first couple of hours, actually, that was a bit of a godsend for for Cam, perhaps, to get through that. Then it was, you know, challenging day the next day. But um, to be able to just recover just that little bit each day to get to a point where he's he's still in the race is yeah, quite Very impressive. impressive. <laughs> they actually didn't think he'd be able to start the next morning because he ended up with a really bad fever all night. But he said, right before the day, he said, actually, I'm coming good, so I'll start. Uh, and he's managed to get himself through. So he's just, uh, you know, it's definitely a tough nut. Um, we had, um, we ha- I was going to show a little video of uh, a, 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 our race leader, Attila, uh, I call him Attila the Hungarian, but of course, Attila uh, Volta. Because uh, it was that, remember that uh, rider in uh, at the World Championships? Uh, in Yorkshire, who just in the wet just sort of lost it the whole bike. That was him. It was a wonderful oh, was footage, yeah. That uh, Dan can't show it because he reckons it's uh, copyright issues or something. So uh, whatever. But uh, look, uh, we're about to have our, our, our special guest, who I'm really looking forward to talking to. But before we go there, we'll, uh, we'll throw to our uh, wonderful partners, sponsors in Bike Exchange. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. <clears throat> it's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is. People that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs, semi-amateurs, and pro-amateurs. This guy wants this bike, but with this crank and these bars. This could be the perfect match, but not this one. This girl has a bike to sell, and thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on Bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours, and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns and rides. Yeah, sensational. I love that ad. I never get sick of that ad. see it every day. I never get sick of it. Okay, Scotty. Well, we have a... Great guest uh, on today. He's uh, a boy from Shepparton. He's not a boy anymore, but he was a a Shepparton lad and probably their most famous sporting son now. He's a world champion and Olympic gold medalist like yourself on the track. There he is uh, in the the green and gold, uh, Brett Lancaster, um, a, a superstar and a professional road career. From 2003 with Panaria, 2003, Mill Ram, 2006, 2008, Savello, there he is, <laughs> sharing the stage in the pink, uh, 2009, 2010, Garmin, Savello, 2011, and Green Edge, right from the beginning, 2012 to 2015. And then, of course, he left uh, uh, cycling, become a, a director of sport, if with Sky, uh, which has moved into Ineos, which he's still doing now. So um, let's bring him on. Hopefully he's there. Hey! Hey, guys. Brett Lancaster. Well, we always call him Bert, for, the, for those old enough to remember the great actor. So, uh, uh, Bert, <laughs> how are you, mate? Good, mate. Just um, chilling out. I uh, Actually, we've uh, Spain's lifted the restrictions a little bit uh, this week. 
um, and having some people over for a barbecue finally. So, and then tomorrow I head down to Ruta del Sol, uh, Andalusia, just to start the five-day stage race. Now you've got a out. sorry, sorry mate, I was say you got a wonderful little uh, uh, family up there in, in Girona. You've lost your uh, heart and soul though once Dan Jones uh, uh, left the town. Is it still the same without him? Yeah, once oh, I've just actually moved out of town. We're in a village just south now. Um, got ourselves a bigger place. I think yeah, COVID changed our minds about the way we're living now. And um, yeah, got a big old place out, outside of town and. Um, yeah, without Jonesy here, it's it's not the same. So that's why I moved out. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that's different is um, he's not blowing people up with fireworks in uh, those music videos. So he's, it's safer in Girona without Dan there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I remember that uh, that video he did up there at the uh, golf course when we <laughs> moved here. So that was a long time. It feels like a very, very long time ago now, Scotty. But, um, yeah. Yeah, now, but we forget, like you talk about the restrictions being lifted, like here, here in Australia, I think the, I got an email today from the Victorian government just saying that um, with more people going back to work, normal places, normal offices, then uh, it's compulsory that everyone has to wear masks on public transport. Like that's kind of it. Like there's very few restrictions now. Um, it's more common sense stuff than anything. Um, and here in Oz, you kind of forget how strict and how serious things still are over in Spain and, and Europe, the rest of Europe. So it's good that they're starting to get, so I guess, some sort of grip on it. Yeah, you're right. We're reaching some sort of normality, I guess. I think, you know, last year when it kicked off, we went through a very bad patch with um, the lockdown. We were eight weeks locked in the house, couldn't even go for a walk. Couldn't get outside. Supermarket or pharmacy type of thing, that was it. Um, but look, Spain's done pretty well and our kids have been at school after that the whole time, you know. They've been home for 10 days on and off. There's been kids in the class with COVID, teachers positive. Um, it's, it's, it's a bit like track and trace, I guess. But, um, yeah, you're quite lucky there in Oz, let's say. Um, Looks like your first barbecue guest is uh, at the door by the sounds of it, mate. <laughs> uh, that's the missus getting back for a run. I've just been out for one myself, so I'm a bit buggered. So. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know whether uh, Dan has uh, got this all queued up, but you sent me through a couple of uh, really nice little shots of your 12-year-old son uh, on the bike in all his Ineos gear, <coughs> and uh, he says no, so he hadn't got them. But that, that was wonderful stuff. Now, you've got uh, one, three three kids, but I noticed that uh, Stuart O'Grady's decided to outdo you and go for a fourth um, uh, <laughs> is, that, is that a challenge for you, mate? Are you going to try and catch up with Stewie? Mate, I've had the old... Uh... <laughs> no, <that's not> <laughs> <laughs> clearly, clearly uh, Stewie hasn't. Well, look, <clears throat> I know he's got some uh, some great uh, vision uh, of different things in the bike game uh, teed up to, to show. He'll probably try and get even with me uh, for having a go at him here and there, so he'll try and make whatever bloopers he can uh, down in the background. But before we get on to that, I know that you've got a bit of a, uh, a stone in your shoe or, 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 or um, a thorn in your side about the whole issue with what happened with uh, uh, Bike Exchange and uh, Team Car and Gene Bates yeah, the other day. We spoke fleetingly shortly about it just before. So uh, I'd just love to hear your comments uh, on that, uh, Bert. Yeah, what do they think? Uh, they're very hard done by, I think, 
the UCI, when they make a decision, it's, you know, they, they very rarely often go back against it. So I think at the start they should have maybe, I don't know what happened, but sat down with Matt and Gene and talked about it first and what happened. The first thing is there's a reason why there's no feeding in the last 10, uh, 20 kilometres because it's dangerous. They've called them up. Obviously, Gino was probably a little bit fizzled or thinking, like, what's going on? And, and just clipped um, Peter Seri's will. Bad luck. So what this does now is, you know, with the COVID, you've got to realise that you just can't pull another DS, you know, out of, let's say, Matt Heyman's in in, um, in Holland where he lives. He just can't fly straight in. Uh, you've got to do, like, two COVID tests. There's a, there's a protocol. So this puts Matt White under extreme pressure trying to win the race with Simon Yates. So he's DSing, he's multitasking, you got, you know, you got all these devices going on, and it's actually a lot more dangerous. So I just would have whacked Gino in the second car, whoever's their second DS in the second car come up and drive that vehicle. Um, you know, there's repercussions for everything, I think. And just a note for your viewers, I think that um, you know, you don't have to have two DSs in the first car. We choose as teams, as World Tour teams, to put two DSs in the cars. You probably find some of the smaller teams in the race only have one DS driving, but uh, that's, you know, it's a budget thing, and you know, you got to you got to have the resources to do that. So, yeah, well, it's it's not a good call from my side. Um, yeah, be punished in certain ways, but don't don't throw Gino out. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head there in one part, uh, uh, Bert, in that when he got, they got called up, 12K to go, Bert would have been thinking, they would have been thinking, what, we've done something wrong. You know, they go up there thinking, whereas it was for a, a damn rain jacket. They didn't say, we've got a rain jacket, you can come up and get it. Because Matty White would have just said, we don't need the damn, you know, we'll get it at the finish. They wouldn't have even bothered coming out. But anyway, we'll let that go. It was, uh, I know that when I spoke to you earlier, you wanted, you had some things to say. So um, we're, we're talking about your early career as a track cyclist, world champion uh, and Olympic gold medalist on the team pursuit. Um, take us back through a little bit of that. I don't know whether uh, Dan's got any vision of that, but uh, um, take us back through a little bit of that, uh, those amazing days, mate. Sorry, that just cut out. Was that? No, right, Bert. Yeah, no, I was just saying, um, back where uh, world champion, Olympic gold medalist on the track, take us back to, to those days. Yeah, I think um, actually Scooter's on the, uh, we've got this uh, monthly call we're doing now with um, Graham Brown's organised it. And, uh, it's all the old track cyclists, basically, and then a couple of road cyclists on there just talking about the good old days. And, it's, it's very nice to reminisce and, and, and talk about things. I think, you know, obviously you started off there with good old Charlie Walsh and, <laughs> and Scotty, you'd be the first to say you know him pretty well. But, um, yeah, they, they, they were different days. And then I was, I was in that program for a few years and then, and fortunately enough, you know, Ian McKenzie took over and uh, um, we started winning world championships and then on to winning gold medals at Olympics. Um and then obviously myself, I had a road career and tried to um, balance that out with, uh, you know, track track and road together. It didn't work out too well in Beijing, but um, that's when I finally hang up the uh, the track wheels. Hey, um, Brett, when, with, just go back to, say, Athens 2004, you know, winning the Olympics is you know, obviously it's, it's a fantastic thing, but what's it like 
Um, and with all the experience you've had, you know, working with Team Sky and now Interlineos and, you know, your own road career as well and winning things like the Prologue of the Giro d'Italia, what's it like to be a part of a team, though, in a victory like that, something as significant as, as Olympic Games? Yeah, Scott, I, I still to this day, you know, I've had some pretty big achievements on the road and then obviously, a, you know, being a lead-out man for the likes of Pushoff and Pataki, I... Uh, you know, there's some really amazing moments in, in in my career and you get a lot from that. But there's nothing like Olympic gold medal, full stop. Um, that was, yeah, the pinnacle of my career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Darren Thomas, um, in an interview when he was, the year he won the Tour de France, um, coming into the final time trial, and this is where it was all, you know, coming down to this time trial, do or die, had to write well, he's a good time trial anyway, so he should have been reasonably confident. And a journalist asked him, you know, if he was, how nervous was he, you know, knowing that this could be, you know, the, the, the winning moment of the Tour de France for him. He said, um, he said, ah, this is nothing. Try lining up in the final of the Olympic Games in the team pursuit, racing for gold on your home track in London. He said, that's, that is nerve wracking. Um, he said, so the Tour de France time trial, final time trial, that is nothing. Don't worry about it, you know, if it happens, it happens. But yeah, the team pursuit lining up in London, he said that was far more nerve wracking, so much more pressure on his shoulders. Um, but then, and he, they also have spoken about that in the past, those guys, about just how much they love being a part of that team environment with a real goal, you know, working well together hard for so many months and years to come away with the win. And yeah, it's great that I, and I can see that with you and the boys with Brownie and, and Brad, Brad and, uh, and Luke Roberts. It's a great camaraderie. <laughs> I remember uh, after one Giro um, that I happened to be on, I actually, uh, my whole family joined me right near the end and we were, we were staying in a little uh, up in the hills just up the back of your hometown and you come and we, ha- we had the best party. You came up with the family and Brownie and that and we had to sing along and I realised you're, you're a, a superstar at karaoke that night. Uh, you remember that, mate? I not really. It was probably one of our big but um, I remember the flamingo dance you organised. That was pretty fantastic, mate. That's the night. That's the night. The flamingo dance. But we ended up doing karaoke as well that night. You took hold of the, over the microphone. I remember. Oh geez, must have. Um, yeah, I can't remember that one. No, maybe wife, it was. Maybe it was me. Maybe it was my me. My wife's <laughs> much better at, uh, at that than me, mate. <laughs> no, Sweet I couldn't Caroline. get you. I, I couldn't get you onto the microphone. You were there, but I think I took it over. But it was an amazing night, flamingo dancers and, uh, and, and whatever. After an amazing Giro, but uh, you were um, leading out some of the great sprinters, like as we mentioned, uh, Pataki, who was the, the sprinter of uh, top sprinter for four or five years. Uh, of course, Hushov and Brownie. You, you spent a whole season leading Brownie out. Who was the hardest one to look after? Brownie. <laughs> you didn't even have to think about that. <laughs> no, look, um, I think, you know, those Panari days was sort of um, the start of my real career on the road. You know, I got to do San Remo and, and rode many Giros, all the Giros with them. And, um, yeah, look, look, uh, we we had a lot of good times. I think the best times, you know, in Malaysia, we, we cleaned up there and we won a lot of races together. Yeah, um, we had a good combination. It was like a love-hate thing, me and Brownie. If you know him, if he's watching this, he'd probably laugh at it as well. But um, <laughs> we had our good times and bad times together. Still mates to this day. But, um, yeah, you know, he's uh, he was great. But, look, um, I think, you know, I had the, I was fortunate enough to work for Hushoff and win the, the green jersey leading tour, up, tour out that year. Um, 
and that guy's, you know, looked after me like you wouldn't believe, um, you know, um, in a lot of ways. Great guy. And and Pataki as well. Uh, yeah, we I think one year we won six, seven stages in the Giro with him. Um, and, yeah, good guy. A very quiet guy. But um, I think, yeah, he, 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 was, he was different. Very timid for a sprinter, I thought. But... Um, Massive talent, you know. You're not seeing guys hit out at 300 metres to go these days and, and hold on for the win. Well, Pataki, there was the um, Baden Cook. Have you heard that story? Baden Cook was reading an interview that Pataki gave and he and Alessandro in that one actually admitted that he was genuinely scared in the last sort of 10 to 5 kilometres of the sprint stage because of the hustle and bustle and all the pushing and shoving. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know what Cookie's like. As soon as he read that, he thought, oh, Thanks for that little bit of info. So from that moment forward, every time he raced against him, he just he hit him harder and more often and rubbed him and squeezed him and pushed him and did everything to intimidate him to try and get the better of him after that. So um yeah, backs up your you know, timid kind of approach that he had, which is unusual, isn't it? Yeah. No, you're right. I think um if you look at the Fasa Bortolo days when he had these massive trains and he used to start so early and he had these guys that could just hit the front and take him to 200 or 150 or whatever. I mean, personally, sometimes I dropped him off at 250, which is a bit early, and afterwards he goes, good lead out, because he was just so strong, you know, and he just was so good at just winding it up from the front. He, he, yeah, you're right, he's not hustle and bustle for sure. What about your, your, your you've got to talk about your prologue um, time trial win in the Giro. What an incredible moment to, to win that and, and wear the Malia Rosa. <laughs> I get asked about that one a lot. It's um, it's one of them where uh, yeah, it was one point one two kilometers. Uh, you had the likes of, I think it was Stewie or yeah. Renshaw rode like a fixed wheel track bike, you know. And I um, I thought about that idea, but just went for the old um, non aerodynamic Colinago I was riding at the time, just pure power. <laughs> um, you can probably, I know Jones. You could probably pull some photos up there. They weren't very pretty of me going off the line, but. Um, yeah, I trained myself that year. Obviously, the year before we won the Olympics, I knew exactly what to do. It was like a lot of two-minute efforts with high-power stuff. Um, yeah, and it was, a, it was a beautiful moment in my career, you know. The only thing was, bloody Cipollini stole my thunder a bit because his retirement rates and got up there in his pink suit and with the big long head and hair going on, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, anyway... That's part of the Giro. Um, that's Cipollini. But the thing is, you, the, the thing people would know, he wasn't even in the bike race. He was only, yeah, as a guest rider, they got yeah, him to yeah. because he's such a so popular. And then he pitched all the limelight off you on the stage. And if you have a look at that photo there, like I've got pretty big mitts on me, but he's like just grabbing me like a bloody baseball glove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how dare he, though? Like, you, you think there'd be a little bit more etiquette in... You know, come up, do his little thing to the crowd. Yeah, great, great, great. And then, you know, hand it over to you to say, well, hey, this guy won today. But no, 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 he was in for the long haul. He wanted all the attention. Yeah. yeah Mario? Mario chasing attention? No. No, mate. You had a look at his Instagram feed lately, mate? <laughs> <laughs> hey, a very brief um, Chippo disappointment story. Because, look, he, he changed so many things, didn't he? He was the guy that came in with the clothes, you know, changed jerseys, shorts and things like that. But the yellow bikes, he was really an innovator in that regard. And got fined a lot for, you know, wearing the wrong jersey. But it was so cool. And 
might have been a 200 Swiss franc fine or something, so whatever. So we paid it because it looked so good. Great for the image. I think also they, it was the first, um, when they were riding Cannondale at Seiko, because he wins so much, he put his hands straight up in the air like that, Cannondale came up with the idea of putting the C on the inside of the gloves. No one had a logo on the inside of the gloves until Mario kept showing his palms. They thought, hey, there's, there's advertising space. So put the, the logo on, on, the, on the inside of his gloves. You know, so he was a real innovator. But one of his great lead-out um, men was Kakatea. So one of the strong men, you know, he wasn't doing the last sort of 200 metres or well, 400 metres, but he was right in there in the last couple of Ks. And I went to his retirement race. They had it at the Figarelli uh, Velodrome in Milan. And Mario was going to be the big star to come along, obviously, as, as his former teammate that he, he spent his entire career working for. And there's a whole bunch of us from Mappe and other different teams, whatever there. Um, and Mario didn't turn up. And everyone's sort of trying to work out where he is. He didn't turn up. And, uh, well, anyway, Calcaterra retired. <laughs> then we're down in the uh, change rooms afterwards showering. And then Cipollini walked in and um, come up to, to Calcaterra. He said, oh, mate, sorry, I got caught up, you know, blah, 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 whatever, some excuse. And I remember thinking, looking at him, thinking, mate, I'm, they're really disappointing, really disappointing that, you know, you, it's the retirement race for a guy that spent his entire career helping you win races. Um and you couldn't be bothered to turn up on time for his retirement race. So that was one thing about Mario that really disappointed me, you know, that moment, you know, because he was a superstar in so many other ways. Yeah, that that's pretty piss poor, mate. But, I mean, like on the other side, we talk about cycling kit. You were lucky enough to ride in the coolest kit ever, you know, that Mappe kit. That's <laughs> undoubtedly. You know, that era, like you said about the gloves, that was like marketing. That the Cycling changed in those years. And, um, yeah. Look at cycling kit these days. It's pretty cool stuff, you know. But it's all air and everything. But that 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 era there was um, that was something else, wasn't it? They were pretty flappy jerseys too. Yeah. Well, one one year, uh, so two thousand two, the last year, we changed from Sportful as a sponsor to Santini. And Santini, it was Matthew Gilmore and I doing the uh, the six days on the track for them through the winter. So we were the first ones to actually go to an event with all the new kit, and that meant so the <clears> the, the multicolored gloves, art warmers. You know, jerseys, shorts, and they also had the full multicolored um, leg warmers and shoe covers. So those bricks, those multicolored bricks, we were top to bottom. The only thing we didn't have was shoes with a big curl at the end of them with a bell on it, like a court gesture. <laughs> that's what we looked like. And then the older guys from the, the road guys, they went to their first training camp and they just said, no, 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 there's too much color here, guys. And they made Santini just uh, supply them with just plain blue leg warmers to at least try and <laughs> break up the uh, the Mappe bricks. Now, now, Bert, uh, tell me the story about uh, back in the Pataki days. You, you, you took your uh, training, so I'm going to call in and see somebody, and it turned out to be uh, uh, quite a famous um, opera singer. So, t tell me that story, mate. Yeah, it was the year that. Um... It was after the Giro, I think, and Pataki won quite a few stages. And I, like, I was living in um, Monsumano and about a 30, 40k drive down to the where is it? Um, Porto de Mami. Uh, so, yeah, went down for sort of a training ride. Um, and then he said, You like opera, don't you? Like, I've listened to some different genres and music. But um, I said, Yeah. So, I pulled into this mansion on the front row in Porto de Mami. If anyone knows this part of Italy, it's like one of the most expensive pieces of, you know, real estate. In Italy, and yeah, opened the door, and it's um, Andrea Bocelli. Um, yeah, good mates with Pataki, and he's jumped on a uh, 
he jumped on a tandem bike with Pataki and we're just going for a ride, you know, as you do. <laughs> Who was on the front <laughs> of the tandem? Boom, boom. And then, you know, we, we got to know him a little bit and we went to an opening of a hospital and um, had the kids crawling on Bocelli's lap and he sung a song, you know, his opera song was, yeah, it's pretty, pretty amazing sort of memories and the people you do get to meet in elite sport, you know? Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Hey, uh, we talked about the track before. Um, what do you make, like you're in a team that's famous for, uh, for you know, innovation and, you know, the, the term marginal gains and all that kind of stuff. But this last couple of seasons, it's been extraordinary with guys that have come from other disciplines within cycling, so not so much track but from cyclocross, um, and just transitioned at such young ages, which has been extraordinary. You know, it used to be that you have to spend a couple of years building the strength and the endurance to be able to do these grand tours. And there's the guy in the era at the moment um, from Ukraine who's 18, straight out of juniors. And then you look at Pitcock and, you know, Matthew Vanderpol, Pogacar, these guys at such young ages have just jumped straight in and Evan Nepal's another one and just able to go 250, 260 Ks and win stuff. So, you know, is that is that part of technology training sports science you know what, what's been the big shift that's allowed that well I, I definitely think yeah, it's part of coaching and training and you know my little fellow's just pulled in now with his bike and he's practicing his aero position and etc but there always has been these young guys around if you look at back in the day i think uh kuniko how how old was kuniko when he won the giro 21 i think you know i think mcgee even ran third that year from i'm probably wrong there but um, Tom Boonen, you know, when he was uh, up there, podium in Roubaix was, you know, 22 years old. So they always have been around, but you're right, with, with Grand Tours, young guys riding them now, I think the mentality has changed. Um, but the longevity of a rider, I, I don't know how, how long they, if they're going to be riding when they're 35, if they're winning Grand Tours at 21. Mm. Yeah, well, that's so. It's like with Peter Sarkin, he's been so dominant for a long time, and then now everyone you look at him like, well, he's you know he might win, he might not. He's just not what he used to be. But he's still only 30, 30 or thirty-one. He's not old, like by normal cycling terms. That that's not an old rider at all. If, if you look at, we went through it with one of our coaches the other day, and if you look at Peter Sarkin's results, is you know it's it's he's one of the best riders on paper still out there, you know. Unbelievable. Um, if I just change, well, back to Pidcock and Vanderpool. If you, if you watch just yesterday, the short course mountain bike, and and what this guy's doing is it's amazing. Um, and last weekend, if, if you're into, you know, Scott, you're into mountain biking a bit. He started in position 100 on the 11th row and was leading the race at one stage. Like I can't even fathom how amazing that is. Um, you know, and, and, and he just. You know, running a drum in Amstel Gold and Brabantson Pill winning that, you know, not long ago. He's, um, he's a huge talent, that kid. Uh, yeah. Exciting to have him on your team. Yeah, that was so Nova Mesto um, Mountain Bike World Cup. Matthew Vanderpol was first. And that was the the cross-country short course or the cross-country criterion, they call it. So the, the actual cross-country Olympic distances uh, on Sunday. But, um, yeah, he was he was second, Vanderpol first. And the current world mountain bike champion was third. And then you need a shirt, it was fifth or seventh or something like that. These guys just popping back straight onto the road and and carving them up in the mountain bike. It, it is it is amazing, isn't it, to see how they can just do that. And 
to have him on your team, like what what do you can you expect from someone like Tom Pickock? Is it is it classics? Is it Grand Tours? You know, what's, what what can he be? I don't know. It, it could be anything, Scott. Um, just so professional. Um, you know, obviously does good numbers. Amazing talent, and he's. He's so smart as well with the way he rides and, and to have those skills. There's, there's only him and um, Vanderpol that are covering the three disciplines at the moment. Um, the only thing they're not doing is a track, but who knows what they could do there as well. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, I, we saw him in the Baby Giro uh, last year it was, and he's obviously can climb as well. So I, I think he should stick to, to what he's doing at the moment. Um you know, switching it up and concentrate on maybe the Ardennes. You could definitely win all those races. And then there's always time to switch over to, to winning Grand Tours. Yeah, look, I think it's making a lot of riders uh, look at how they prepare uh, for the season. I think you'll get more and more jumping into cyclocross uh, as we as we move on. Yeah, um, good, good, right. good point, John. Um, look at Heinrich Housler. He's, he's gone and, and ridden some cyclocross races on his own expense and supported himself there uh, throughout the winter. And he's, he, he was he was quite good, you know, in, the, in his classic campaign. Yeah, carry back. So I thought we, we'll move on to a little bit of, uh, on your current role as a, as a DS. But I just thought, um, I just talk that last part. Before we get, I know that there's a video lineup of you in that 2005 uh, uh, in that pink jersey. So uh, if you want to flick that on, Dan, that would be great to see. Um, I rode my first Giro when I was 23 years old um, for an Italian team, a smaller Italian team. I did the first four years of my career with them. Um, that team had been running for you know, probably 20 odd years and uh, the history behind it and to, 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 to feel the, the, the warmth of, a, of the, you know, an Italian team, what the Giro mean to me and, and I lived in Italy for quite a big chunk of my life um, so that was 2003 um, I broke through and, and won a, a pink jersey in the really short prologue down in Reggio Calabria 2005 and that was uh, some, one of the biggest highlights uh, in, my, in my career, it was only a, a short stage but uh, the, the passion and everything in the, the team hotel when I got back and it, it, like I said this team had been running for 25 20, 25 years and they'd never had a pink jersey in their in their team and I was the first to do it for them an Aussie guy young Aussie guy in their Italian team and um, those memories I'll never forget and I still see the managers to this day and their smile on their face uh, when I see them at, at the Giro they still thank me for that <laughs> I'm, la I'm laughing at uh, <laughs> The bloke who jumped up on the on the stage with you—he couldn't help himself, could he? His <laughs> body wouldn't wear something like that, mate. <laughs> you got to have good form to be wearing that. But yeah, he's on the, he's on the stage, but he actually had the had the, the the balls to actually get up on the podium with you at the end. So well, you can see on, you mate. can actually you can actually see he did have the balls to do that. Yeah, it's actually um like. I live like he's from Luca. I was living in Montsamano. I was training in that area once, and um, a big chippo turned up. I was actually doing an effort. Sleeves rolled up, nicks rolled up, all tanned up, no helmet, and he's like, "Child breath." I'm like, "Hey man, how you doing?" Like all entertained, of course. He goes, "Let's go get a coffee." I'm like, "Okay." Pulled in some bar and 
you the woman behind the bar and how you doing sweetheart etc etc so <laughs> that was quite some story but i was impressed he actually remembered me <laughs> now we saw in that uh, that little video you just that was just showing then uh, you in the uh, um, orica green edge colors um you were one of, you know, one of the original guys in the team just take us through a little bit of uh, what it was like to actually um you've been pro for a long time to be able to actually join an australian team in the world tour yeah i think um from my knowledge i was one of the first riders to sign on for um you know green edge back then i'd been in garmin that year i was quite unhappy uh let's say as i i've been from savello to garmin and and didn't get to start with bay there's a bit of a political shit behind that but um and I've called my manager and, you know, sort of got in contact with Shane and, and put pen to paper really early before the team started. So it, it was those first couple of years were fantastic. And, you know, we, you know, they went a different direction in the end for GC, understandably. And, but, you know, we killed so many time trials um, and, and, you know, so many memories there and, and just, just good, good people. And uh, I see a lot of the staff members are still there and they're just fantastic people. Yeah. So I was talking to Gero uh, last week and uh, he's had an amazing career, but he still reckons, of course, he would think this, I suppose, but because of the yellow jersey, but he reckons that first week of the 2013 Tour de France was the greatest week uh, in his life, really. Uh, and it was something special. So, to, and you were a part of that, you know, to, to win that team time trial and that, uh, the first yellow jersey uh, for an Australian team. What are, you, what are your memories of that one, mate? I think, you know, we started in Corsica, didn't we? Um, yeah. And we stayed in this beautiful location. We had good team spirit, um, you know, some dodgy roads out there. The bus incident, as we all know about, <laughs> with, um, with Capri happened, part of the whole show. I think, you know, the amount of media, you know, Jerry got out of that was, was huge. But, you know... Simon beat um, Sagan in that little sprint there, didn't he? It was yeah. Simon. Yeah, yeah, it was Sagan. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Then we went over to Nice and had an incredible time trial. We we had the pressure of last team. And I, I still think to this day that's the fastest ever team's time trial. My team time trial, it might correct me if I'm wrong. but um, well, It was at the time. It was definitely at the time. It was then. It was super oh, fast. Yeah. A lot of the, um, you know, Cam Meyer and Stewie and, and you know, Gossy, uh, Impy, you know, like a lot of ex-track riders that knew what they were doing, but a super fast course. And I'd have to agree, it was it was a special time and just and for Australian cycling, you know. It, it was it was amazing. Hey, um and, and a little tidbit that I guess you know most fans won't know, um, but so Jerry Ryan, obviously the, the owner of the team, you know, famous for, for his business skills and, and Jayco caravans in Australia and in New Zealand. And every year they have a dealer conference, different parts of Australia, all around the world. They have the dealer conference for Jayco, all the Aussie dealers, in Nice that year. So you had the dealer conference there when you guys won the team time trial. I was like, you could not have scripted that, that, scripted that better. Um, I'm sure they ordered a lot more caravans after that as well. So Jerry would be really happy. Jerry would walk in and that one, you know. <laughs> Look, that was it's amazing, you know, because I remember it really well. I was I was lucky enough to be there, and I remember I, I wasn't real well at the time. I was uh, a, a bit crook, and 
I'm walking up towards the start, and I get a text from Jerry, where are you? I said, I'm on my way, so we get in there. And all these dealers who don't know much about cycling, they were sort of expecting the team to go well because Gero won the stage the day before and they knew a good ride puts them to the other jersey. And when it happened, they just said, oh, well, this happens all the time. They didn't realise how lucky they were to be there on that amazing, that special day. It was just, oh, uh, it was just the, the Jerry, the, the, the golden touch of, of Jerry. It was definitely amazing. And I also remember as they crossed the line and they yell, the announcer yelled that you guys were going to be in the yellow, get the yellow jersey, or the girl was going to get the yellow jersey. All the, the dealers jumped up and, and Jerry pushed the ball out of the way and come and grabbed me. And uh, I think I was pretty crook with uh, Tom. I think he thought I was going to pass away soon after. So he, he gave me a great big cuddle, but it was really special. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, bit, it's a bit similar, I guess, with um, Jim Radcliffe coming in with Ineos. You know, we uh, Sky sort of fell through. Um, Jim come in and just said, no, nah, taking the whole team. And then, boom, he win the Tour de France with Egan. But as we all know, it's not it's not easy. It's it's a lot of hard work, and um, the cost of the competition's hard out these days. And you got to work every day to get these little gains and um, and make sure that um, you know you keep on top of things hundred percent. It's not just money, is it? So it's, like, it's great to have the most money or a lot of it, but you've got to have the right people with the right smarts to spend it in the right areas where you, you need to get the performance. And you know, and that's obviously what Ineos and Sky have done. They've had the biggest budget, but they've spent it the right way to make sure you, you've had the gains to get the wins. Um, so when you go back through the Tour, Tour de France since 2012, um, it's been incredible, incredible run from, from the Sky slash Ineos team. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, we do have a large budget and, and a big chunk of that is spent on the riders. So just an example, I think like last week we were in Algarve, I was uh, DSing down there and, you know, we've got two rental vans with the bikes to go there because um, it's like a third program or, you know, all the resources go, of course, to Italy um, for the Giro. Um, you know, one of the vans breaks down, we've got higher vans, we've got, you know, We've got the bus there, the generator, you know, some issues with it. We've sorted it out. So, you know, I think there are, you know, limitations with everyone's budget, you know. So your main role uh, this year was uh, at the Cobble Classics. Um, that's an exciting um, uh, race to be. So take us a bit about through uh, uh, Ineos's um, efforts and performances in the, in the Cobble Classics, especially uh, Pitcock. Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah, it's Sivas Carnarvon. Obviously, he's won Roubaix, and and there's only a handful of these guys, DS wise, that know this part of the world like them. They they can tell you, like you had Scott Sunderland on there yesterday. They can tell you what angle he come from this way up a climb this way, and they'll they they know everything. So we changed a few things last year and having Pitcock come in and, um, you know, sort of a younger team, let's say, you know, likes of Ethan Hayter. Um, we had a, probably the most successful classics campaign yet um, without takeaway Roubaix, which will be in October. Um, yeah, you know, Doors won London and we won, you know, we're up there in Ghent Welvingham, etc. Um, but up at St Pill, which is the last race for the Flanders Classics organisation, we won with Pitcock. Um, so, yeah, we're very happy with with the way things went. Well, and and depending on where you think or perceive the finish line of Armstrong to actually be, um, yeah. Pitcock almost won that as well. <laughs> yeah, actually, I um, yeah, 
I, I wasn't there myself. I had some other stuff on, so didn't. I did the art ends last year, um, but yeah, that was uh, quite a performance. But, um, yeah, that's the UCI rule, and, and yeah, that's their camera. He, it was what it was. Yeah, I still have trouble working out how they how it didn't go to uh, Pidcock because the, the the when they stopped the on the line from every photo I saw, it looked like he'd won it. But then somehow they dragged out another one and he lost it. And even that one, I had trouble uh, picking it. Dead heat, I think everyone would have been happy with. Yeah, just anyway, it just goes to show like how talented this kid is, you know. Um, first try at them. Yeah, he, he, he did all, all the uh, cobbles, nearly all the cobbles as well. So you've got to understand that normally a, a rider will just concentrate solely on the, the cobble classics or the Ardennes or they might do Amstel, some of the cobbles guys, but never never do the rest. So that performance was, you know, all his performances were just amazing and he's still killing it in the mountain bike, you know, and let's see how he goes tomorrow. Mm, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, I'll be looking forward to, yeah, because I'm commentating the mountain bike events at the Olympic Games um, as well as, you know, road track and BMX. Um so, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how they go. Because like, Peter Sagan, 2016, he thought the road course was too difficult for him, so he focused on mountain bike. Um, and he had a similar situation, like you're talking about with Tom, you know, the last row. Sagan lined up in the last row uh, on the start line in Rio. And by the end of the uh, the first um, opening lap, like the, um, the start lap that they do before they go out onto the open circuit, he was fifth position. So extraordinary start for him as well. Smaller bunch than you have at World Cups as well. But yeah, I'm really curious to see how uh, how Matthew and and Tom end up going. Um, you know, a little bit further down on the mountain bike stuff. And the question to you, mate, about um, you know, we talk about you in the in the pink jersey. You know, riding for an Italian team, living in Italy, and, and leading you know the second biggest race in the world. And for the Italians, it's probably they you know feel consider it perhaps the biggest um, Olympic Games as well. What is it now that you enjoy most about your role um, and your participation in cycling in, in your position as a director sportive? What is it that you get out of this the most now? For me now, I really enjoy working with the young kids, or let's call them kids, up and coming. You know, fortunate enough, I was there last week like with um, Ethan Hader. What a talent, you know. So he almost won this race. He binned it in the time trial. Which is uh, is going a little bit too quick. Yeah, he <laughs> would have won the race easy if he didn't win it. So people like he'd, he'd be ten days quarantine because he was close contact on a flight back to the UK. Had to quarantine at home. Was on the home trainer. Went and did two days with the track team on the team's pursuit, which he'll do in Tokyo. Turns up to Algarve and nearly wins the thing, you know. And and it's, I love working with these young guys. You know, I've worked also with the best of two of Britain. We had all our hitters there from Froomey to, you know, G. Thomas, Ian Stannard, which it's nice to have that, but it's, you can't teach them anything. So when, when I go to the, these, let's say, smaller races, um, that, I'll get a really big kick out of it. Mm. What about the Aussies? So with, with Ethan in particular, I only posted a couple of days ago, um, because I was commentating the Commonwealth Games for, for Channel 7 here in Australia from 2018, and Sam had won the scratch race. You know, Cameron Meyer set him up incredibly well. But Ethan Hayter spent, I think it was like, he tacked maybe 10 laps to go or some nine laps to go and almost held on to win the scratch race solo with Cameron Meyer chasing full gas and then Wellsford, you know, letting loose with 
a bit over, a, you know, a bit under two laps to go. So an extraordinary ride by Sam to win. But Hayter's performance was incredible to hold on that long. What about from this next generation of Aussies? Have you got have you got your eye on, you know, this next group of guys like Wellsford, Kelly Bryan, Luke Plapp, um, You know, obviously was working very closely with there with Richie Port at Tour Down Under. Um, what do you see from the Aussies that are coming through? Yeah, there is a look. I can't comment on who's uh, going to be coming on board, but um, <laughs> the two talented young Aussie. Uh, I was subtle, though. It wasn't I subtle. Like, I didn't actually... I made that, like, a bit of a generalisation. No. <laughs> yeah. Look, also, Scott, unfortunately, the thing is at the moment with COVID that we these kids aren't... or younger guys don't aren't really having the chance to make their way over to Europe, and it's quite difficult at the moment for Australians, obviously, to travel and two weeks quarantine so it definitely there's a there's a lot of talented kids around um it's just seeing them race you know is, is yeah, but you're also pitching some older ones too so richie uh, um it's going to be interesting to, to to watch him how's he going at the moment yeah richie's up in um in tenerife with the guys training hard um rowan rowan's up there um that's one rowan rowan's a, like you might hear what you want to say about Rowan, but I've, I've worked real close with Rowan and he's one of the greatest athletes I've worked with, you know, super professional and just says it how it is. I, I love the guy. Um, so it's good to have a couple of Aussies on board and, and, and Cam Worth, you know, he's an interesting guy. We had him um, <laughs> we had him in Algarve last week and he is such a talent and he's a much better bike rider now than what he was when he was with Liquid Gas. Um Big engine, you know, the brake goes out the six, seven, eight minutes. Yeah, just put Cam on the front. You know, that's what he does. We had him in some of the classics. I used him in, um, well, I had him in the Ardennes last year, sit on the front for 180K, you know. And he's, he's still there. Like, he, he won't get to the finish, but just a massive engine and um, a pleasure to have around, you know. Cam can talk all day, but he has... He's not negative. He's just fantastic guy to have in around. Yeah, he's a great story, isn't he? It's, because he's not winning these races, he doesn't get the recognition of you know, obviously Richie for the Tour de France and, and these other riders. But um, he's a fantastic story coming from rowing to professional cycling to triathlon and now back to not just back to pro cycling, but back to Ineos, you know, or to Ineos. That's an incredible story that I think is, um, has been undertold. Yeah, I think you could probably do a segment on that. The line would he'd, he'd be good. At, <laughs> on this, you know, could be, we'll go for a two hour. hour. Oh, yeah, we got to We got for three hours, but um, <laughs> yeah, look, Cam, you know, also has his own sponsors in Pinarello and Castelli through the triathlon, um, and he's going to be participating in his first Ironman in a long time down here in the Costa Brava, which is close by. So I'm going to actually go down and give him a little bit of support. What I, I don't know nothing about triathlon, but just. Just show up and, um, you know, he's, he, he works hard, mate. He's, he's an animal, an absolute animal. Now, we do have a question pop up. There we are from, from back home, mate. Hi, Brett, from Wendy May Abbott. We'd love to have you come back and visit us at the Shep Cycling Club. I'd love to as well, but um, I'm not a fan of sitting in a hotel room for two weeks with the Australian <laughs> in quarantine. <laughs> and Wombat Breath says that uh, thanks for the show, guys. Much appreciated. Great memories of Bert's prologue, Bert and Thor's teamwork, and those magic green edge TTTs. So there you go. Samantha, 
if Cam is struggling, wouldn't it be best for him to pull out Olympics around the corner? I I talk about uh, um, Cam. Cam yeah, I know, but you'll be you, you've got to ride yourself through this. So he he he'll be. Uh, uh, I'm sure he'll be a lot better today. But um, before we let you go, I did promise before we started the show, I promised Dan that we'd make it short, sharp, and keep it down to about 45 minutes. We've gone past the hour, but I've got a couple of couple of quick ones for you, Bert, before you nick off, because it's fantastic to have you on board, mate. I've really loved it. But, it sounds, um, sounds like our um, Ineos conference calls. <laughs> I'm used to it. Back to the Giro here. Um Bernal, how impressive have you, uh, have you been with him so far this week? Oh, um, yeah, obviously, you know, it's, it's open knowledge that he has a back issue and that's been playing up. He seems to, you know, he seems to be on top of it. Um, yeah, we saw the team go pretty deep a couple of days ago um, to try and open things up, maybe test the opposition to see where they're at. He looks the strongest bike rider in the race at the moment. Um, but as we know, you know, the Giro's, you know, three-week three long race, and the last week is where it's always won in my eyes. So yeah. let's see what happens today. It's not, not, not too crazy. Um, long climbs are nothing too steep. Tomorrow's pretty tough. Just hope it doesn't rain down that part of the world, as we know, um, where Michael Matthews won the stage up to Monte Cristo when I broke my hand there. Um, me and Swain went down in 2004. Back to the green hedge days, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how he goes, mate. It's, he's looking good. Yeah. Hey, um, explain a bit about that because um, you know, we talk about if it rains down down south because this is the southernmost stage of the Giro, so they're basically going. I think it's uh, uh east or west at the very bottom, um, or close to the bottom, and then from tomorrow on, it's coming back up north again. But What's it like, and explain why it's so much more dangerous down south if it hasn't rained for a while and then and, and then rains for a bike race? Uh, oh, look, I don't want to put my foot in it too much, but I think what you have down there is, um, you know, there's, it's not like the north of Italy. There's a bit more poverty, and I'll call it poverty, but uh, the cars are pretty old and dumping a lot of oil. Um, and yeah, that goes on the road, it rains, and it brings it up through the the surface and it's just like an ice skating ring. Um, that's the way I see it. And not really maintain the roads the same down there. Um, yeah, so it's, it is treacherous. It's, I, I remember years ago when um, Nick Gates was riding with Lotto, we were sliding in our asses at, you know, 60k an hour, sort of second time in one day <laughs> with, with a big group. But, um, yeah, it's, it, it is very dangerous and, you know, sometimes there's just nothing you can do about it. Slippery, Luckily, slippery we're not going down there. We're not going down there, so we don't have to really dissect it too much. But my, my last thing for you, mate, is, is to talk about the Tour de France coming up. We've got, um, obviously, Bernal, uh, if, he, if he wins this, he won't be uh, uh, going to the Tour de France. But um, it, it seems that uh, the, the G is uh, set to be the man, but it, it, is that how you see it panning out? Oh, um, yeah, I think we, we'll go into the race with a, a few leaders, I think, a few options. Richie, Richie's moving well, um, and, and Catapaz is, you know, obviously when he's climbing well, he's one of the best in the world. Um, but, yeah, back to G, just he's doing everything right. He looks good. 
he's in good nick. You know, there's a couple of time trials that you need to perform in, like really need to perform in. Um, and obviously the Slovenians, two Slovenians are very good time trialers. So we're up against some stiff competition. It's just, it's how you race it, isn't it? Yep, it's going to be wonderful. What, what a mix, though. If you, if you had Bernal on the start line, plus Carapaz, plus Jaron Thomas, it's, it's extraordinary. And, uh, and if if Egan's um, back starts playing up, uh, Peter Seri knows a pretty good chiropractor um, that he went to two days ago. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, just get in touch with him. <laughs> I've been super impressed with uh, with uh, Garner again in this tour. He's just an animal, what he does all day on the front and then climbs halfway up the big climbs as well. For a big bloke, he's just staggering. What, what are your opinions of him, mate? Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, I mean, he's got big power and it's impressive. The, the thing with these guys that impress me the most is the way, and Scott, Scott will agree as well, the way they can switch from track to road, track to road, you know, He's been doing track camps and, and then he'll switch back and, you know, they're going to try and win, um, you know, the gold medal in the team's pursuit. So it's pretty phenomenal in this day and age that they can, you know, handle both. Yeah. So we, we've, we've gone for the record. I think we're up to nearly an hour and nine minutes. So we're, we're about to wrap it up. Um, uh, Scotty, I'll ask you first your tip for stage eight. Uh, okay. Um, this would normally have Peter Sarkin's name all over, I would think. Um, but, yeah, maybe Diego, he's this type of rider as well. So they're, they're the two that I'd be thinking about. Yep. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to go uh, – I'll go with Sagan as well. I think it's a perfect stage for him, and he's desperate to, uh, to try and get one. And, Bert, your thoughts, mate? Guverdia. There. No, no really? bias in there. Good, yeah. Good call. Good call. <laughs> Well, right, last one, we are going to wrap it up, and thanks heaps, mate. I, but I've got to say, last year's uh, uh, Giro, it really changed my thoughts on Rowan Dennis. He's, there's no doubt that he, Gagenhart can thank Rowan for that uh, uh, for that uh, victory in the Giro because it was just staggering. And it made me think that with the right sort of preparation and everything, that uh, Rowan could be a contender for a Grand Tour. Do you reckon he could? Oh, 100%, but Rowan doesn't want that. Um, yeah, uh, that, that's not on even on Rowan's radar. You know, he, he he's really happy with the team and he just he's happy to be a worker now and win some time, win some time trials. Um, but one thing I will say is that when he finishes the tour this year, going into the Olympics with with a course like that, with eight hundred meters of climbing and a time trial, he's going to be going as a hot favourite to win Olympic gold medal. Yeah, yeah I'm going to be happy with that for sure. Yeah, um, the thing you mentioned him before, Rowan, just yeah, briefly on it. The, obviously, he had his troubles with his previous team, and even talking with um, you know the Australian High Performance Manager as well said that you know he he felt that Rowan's one of the easiest people he's had to work with. Because he just knows what he wants. As long as you don't get in his way, he's he's going in a path. He's got his mindset going for whatever it is, and just don't get in his way. Help him move forward, and he's really easy to work with. I guess the previous team were just too there was too much friction. They just weren't helping him achieve what he wanted to, um, and that's when it all fell apart. But uh, it sounds like you've got the same same approach with him. You know, work with him to move forward, and yeah, he's committed. He's dedicated, and certainly an incredible talent. Yeah, it's just mismanagement, isn't it? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, to be honest, we've got a lot of other, well, not a lot, a few other riders that are a lot harder. Well, Ryan's not. Ryan's easy. There's riders that are hard to deal with, you know. So, yeah, I mean, he's happy here. And, uh, you know, I actually, you know, socially have a bit to do with Rowan now. Um, and, you know, he's come from a great family. And Mal's doing well with the, uh, the new little girl they've just had. And, yeah, I think uh, life's good for them. All right. Well, look, thanks, guys. It's been, uh, yep, set the record, hour 12, without doubt. But that was so easy to do, uh, Bert, to have you on board and really appreciate uh, your input, mate. I look forward to uh, to uh, uh, catching up in the flesh. Hopefully this summer we can get you out. Thanks, Scotty. Thanks again. And for all our, our fans and viewers, don't forget, jump online, youtube.com, the Detour Podcast. Register uh, and so we can see those numbers. But uh, thanks again to, to Bike Exchange uh, and uh, uh, to all our great partners out there and Jerry for the support of cycling uh, and we'll see you tomorrow night and hopefully Dan will be back <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you.